Well, it's my immense privilege to welcome you to the 11 o'clock service of the Houghton Wesleyan Church. And I'm not going to let anybody off easy this morning. We're going to be hearing about joy and freedom and multitude of witnesses. So here's what's going to happen. I need two of you right now to stand up and tell me either something that you're going to praise God for or some reason you're happy to be here this morning. So get up right now and yell it out. We don't need a mic. Let's go. Who's going to do it? Don't let me hang. Don't leave me hanging here. Come on. Thank you. One more. You're th- he's thankful for me. All right. How about you? It's my kind of gal right there. All right. I don't want to shut anybody down. Well, would you please stand with me? Thank you for those folks. Please stand with me and join in the call to worship this morning from Hebrews. One of the great passages of the faith. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, Heavenly Father, let us never be guilty of taking for granted the great inheritance and legacy of that kingdom that we have inherited. Thank you for your love, for being a kind and strong and gentle Father for us. And please let us celebrate our relationship with you today in your name. Amen.
Amen. That is the heart of God's grace to us and why we come together to worship. It's so good to see you, those who are here. We welcome those who are watching on the streaming, and we're glad to have you with us as well. Take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. We welcome those of you who uh, may be guests this morning, and we're glad that you're here in worship. And pray that uh, you will experience the, the presence of Christ as we worship together. A couple of things that are in your bulletins. Uh, the green insert is about family event night taking place uh, a week from Wednesday on the 2nd. Uh, this is an intergenerational event. We're going to pack uh, Operation Christmas Child boxes. Uh, if you uh, are not able to, to pack a box, either on your own or to join us, uh, if you would like to, to give us some kind of donation, that would be helpful as it does cost $7 a box to get them together and to go. And so you can, uh, you can just let us know if that you would like to contribute to that. But hopefully you can join us for this event and perhaps uh, meet some new people, visit with some folks that you might not get to see otherwise And uh, as we gather on the 2nd. The other insert in your bulletin is about our prayer vigil. This is the eighth year we have done this three-week, 24-7 prayer vigil, and it starts next Sunday. Uh, if you are unfamiliar with this, I reserve uh, an hour at a time in the prayer room, which is located directly below us. And if you would like to take a look at the prayer room today after the service, please feel free to go, go down. It's pretty much ready to go. We have tried to, uh, to think about this theme, Pray Freely, and uh, to inter- ways of interacting with that. And I'll talk to you actually a little bit more about that in a few minutes. But... We want to encourage you to begin signing up. You can sign up actually right after the service in the back foyer. There's a computer there. And if you need help, we have some people to help you with that. Uh, if you have any trouble signing up, please let us know and we'll, we'll do that for you. Uh, we just pray and hope that this is an event in which we encounter God individually and corporately. And then just please note that uh, it's not in the bulletin, but our small groups uh, meet tonight and throughout this week. And hopefully if you're a part of a group, just uh, be aware of that as well.
Amen. Please join me in the Old Testament reading found in Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6. This is the word of the Lord. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand with me as the ushers come forward and sing the doxology. Heavenly Father, you have been so good to us. Let us show our gratitude to you in any way we can.
In your name, amen. God, God, 
and is our desire that God would show us Christ and that we would confess that He is Lord. And I'm convinced that a part of that journey to Christ is recognizing our own need for Christ. So let me invite you to join me in the prayer of confession, a prayer that recognizes our need and that Christ is the answer. Let us pray together. Almighty God, in whom is all power in heaven and earth, help us in our constant struggle for power. Despite the teaching of your word, something in us believes that power will solve our problems, that overwhelming others will make us agents of your eternal kingdom. Forgive us for our lust for power, for our subtle attempts to exert power, for believing that the world will be changed by our accumulation of power. Help us to see, hear, and obey your call to be servants through Christ, who became a servant even to death. Amen. As we continue in prayer, if you would like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please join me. Father, we bow this day and ask you again to teach us to pray. Teach us the joy of relationship with you. Teach us to sense your presence in our lives and in this place. This morning we come with a variety of needs and burdens in our hearts and we we bring them to you knowing that you care about the burdens in our lives and in the world around us even more than we do. We pray for your comfort upon all who are grieving, whatever form that grief may take. We pray for all struggling with health concerns, for Mildred Berry, Doris Sepian, Blanche Weaver, Tammy Dunmire, Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson, Bob Jobert, Laurel Buker, Bill Getty, Warren and Ella Woolsey, Phil Muker, Mike Raybuck, Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Emily Cricklar, and others who may be on our minds today. Bring healing to each one. Father, we pray for Uh, the ministries of our church. We thank you for this congregation and all the ways in which we are privileged to serve one another. And today we pray for our elementary age Sunday school class. All of these classes that, that help our elementary children know you and learn of you. We pray for every teacher and helper and student that the word of God and the truth of, of life in Christ will be embedded into their hearts, that their lives will be given to knowing you, to trusting you, to loving you. We pray for churches around us. 
Today we pray for the Evangelical Methodist Church in Sio and Pastor Kemp. Pour out your spirit on this congregation of believers that they would continue to be a place of hope in their community and beyond. We pray for our nation. So much is dividing us right now. We know that there are there's racial division and there is ethnic division. There's class division. We pray that you would bring unity in the midst of all of the divisiveness and help us and your church to be catalysts of love and unity. We pray for this upcoming election. Lord, there, there's so many different opinions, so much passion about it, which is natural in a, in a nation in which we have a say in who our elected leaders are. We pray that you would give us the spirit of Christ as we communicate with one another, as we share what's important to us, as we talk to one another. May your followers, may we, be different. Help us to have the spirit of Christ in all that we say and in all that we do. Father, we pray for this world in which we live. So much pain and heartache. We think of the refugees in Syria and specifically the Christians, the refugees that are Christian. We pray, Lord, that you will protect them as they, even in the refugee camps, are continuing to be persecuted. We pray, Father, that you would, you would surround them with your loving kindness and your protection and let them bear witness to Christ in all that they do. We pray, Father, for the nation of Thailand mourning the death of their long-reigning king. In this time of uncertainty and confusion, a time when there may be grabs for power, we pray that, that you will keep peace. We thank you for the church in Thailand and for all the ways in which you're blessing the church there. And we ask that you will continue to do so. Help the Dodies as they minister there and others. And may the church be a witness for you especially at this uncertain time. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. We ask that you would give us faith to believe that you are who you say you are and you do what you promise to do. You are faithful and good and merciful. Give us hearts that are continually ready to listen to you and to follow you. Father, we pray that you will bless and anoint this, our prayer vigil. We pray that this will be a time of uniting our hearts together in prayer as we come before your throne in this chain of hour upon hour upon hour of prayer. Be glorified in all that we do. We offer our prayer to you in the name of Christ Jesus the one who leaves us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power 
and the glory forever. Amen. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is great. tongue can bid me then depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, a word I look and see him there, who made an end to all. Following the scripture reading this morning, children's ages 2 through 5 may be dismissed for children's church. Please join me in the New Testament reading found in Galatians 5, 1 through 5, and chapter 6, 11 through 18. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. 
See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand? Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. This is the word of the Lord.
Please be seated. I saw a commercial this week that began by asking the question, when was the last time you felt free? Well, that intrigued me. And the next statement was, it's time to experience that feeling once again with the cross and the shield. And then it came up and it was a commercial for Blue Cross and Blue Shield. And I thought, isn't that interesting? That sets me free. If I am a part of this HMO, I will find freedom. Now that caught my attention because we've been talking about a lot about freedom over the last few weeks. And so I was intrigued as to where that would go. And while I don't think freedom, true freedom, rests in being a member of Blue Cross and Blue Shield or any other in insurance agency that you could might name, I, um, I am intrigued by the fact that that's what, that's what they use to draw people in. They recognize there is something in the human spirit that yearns for freedom. We all want to be free. People all over the world want to be free. We sing songs about it. We write poetry about it. People protest about it. We yearn for freedom. It's in the human spirit because that's how God created us. God created us to be free. When we look at Genesis 1 and 2, we find God creating the world in freedom. And creating human beings to live in that world in freedom. And it's only because they choose not to. It's only because they sin that now human beings, we all have this yearning for freedom. But it's God's desire for us to be free. And that's why when Jesus comes upon the scene and the very first sermon we have recorded of him preaching in Luke chapter 4... We find him in the synagogue in Nazareth and he takes out the scroll of Isaiah and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor and to proclaim freedom for the captive and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the prisoners free and to declare the day of the Lord's favor. Jesus is saying, and then he says, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is me. His message, his reason for coming is to set us free. And that's been one of the key themes that we've seen running through this letter that Paul has written to the churches in Galatia. Freedom. When we get to the end of the letter, in verse 11, he says, you look, you notice, I'm writing this now with my own hand. The common practice in that day was to write letters by dictation. The person would write down what the the author said, but at a certain point, you get to the end and the author says, give me the, the pen because I'm going to finish this off in order to, to uh, maintain authenticity. That this is indeed a letter that the author has indeed written and that everything that has been said is the opinion of the author. No one has come along and said, I think I'll use their name and, and pretend to be from them. Writing it, the rest of it in your own hand gives authenticity to the letter, but it's also an opportunity for the letter writer, the, the author of the letter, to summarize the primary points of what he or she has written before. And so Paul does that. And he brings us back to freedom. 
Actually, he, he sort of brings them back to their struggle with bondage. While God has called us to be free, one of the great human struggles is that we continue to choose bondage over freedom. And this is what we see Paul writing about in this letter as he, as he says to addresses the, the Jewish Christians from, from Jerusalem who have come to the Galatian churches and have in essence said to them, if you want to be a full Christian, if you want to be a wholehearted Christian, if you want to know intimacy with God, then you have to become a Jew first. You have to embrace all the law of Judaism. You have to practice all the laws of Judaism. And then you can become a full Christian. And Paul has been writing from the beginning saying, no. That's not freedom. That's bondage. And every one of us struggles with some kind of legalistic bondage. It is the nature of of humanity. We love to make rules. We love to create forms. We love to create structures because it, I think it makes us feel more confident. It makes us feel more in, more in control of life. And so we create these rules. And they're not bad most of the time. Most of the time they are rooted in something good. The problem arises when we begin to say, if you don't follow the rules that I've created, then something is wrong with you. And it, doesn't, it becomes about our rules we bring other people into bondage. It creates this spirit, quite frankly, of self-centeredness. And that's what you see here in verses 12 and 13 as Paul describes these false teachers who have come and laid this bondage on the Gentile Galatian Christians. They've said, look, they're not doing this because it's in your best interest. They're doing it because it's in their best interest. It makes them look good to the people back home. It it prevents them from facing some opposition from the people back home. They're doing this to make themselves look good, not because it's in your best interest. And that's what our rules tend to be. We're not usually thinking, now I want this person to follow this rule because it's in their best interest. We're typically thinking, I want them to follow this rule because I think this is a good rule. And because I've come up with this rule or because I've embraced this rule and everyone should follow this rule. And what ends up happening is that we, we create a very critical judging spirit. Rules just naturally lead us to that. And we start, the rules always lead us to questions like who's in and who's out. Who's right and who's wrong, who's good and who's bad. Decisions that, quite frankly, are God's decisions to make, not our decisions to make. And there's something about those kinds of rules that leads to those kinds of questions that make us feel better about ourselves. Because, of course, we are always on the side of right and good and in. Don't you find it interesting? The people who make the rules about who's in are always the people who are in. And and it makes us feel better about that. But Paul says that's bondage. The faith, the the life with Christ is not about following rules. And that automatically leads, what we're really saying, if you boil it down, is we're going to put limitations on God. We're going to put God in our box. We're going to put God under bondage. 
Because when we start making rules and we start judging people based on the rules and that the rules are determining who's in and who's out, what are we really saying? God can only work in the ways that we agree with. God can only work in the ways that we resonate with. And we miss the fact that God is so much bigger than any of us. I had a thought this week. I had a thought this week of coming this morning wearing skinny jeans and a t-shirt. Now, nobody wants to see that. I understand. Nobody wants to see me in skinny jeans. So we'll just lay that out there, right? Which was one of the reasons why I didn't do it. But the reason I was thinking about doing it is because the minute you would have seen me dressed like that, you would have started making judgments in your mind. Just like I do. Now, some of you may be making judgments in your mind because I'm wearing these clothes and not wearing, well, not skinny jeans, but not wearing jeans. The other reason I didn't do that is because I read an article recently that said that the, that the young generation are really not looking for hip pastors. And so I feel safe about that. I'm good. <laughs> no one has ever accused me of being hip. I don't know. But it just reminded me, you think about it, how many times we make a value judgment based on the kind of clothes people wear, the kinds of places they go, the kinds of of things that they like. I mean, you know, we have this whole difference of opinion even about worship styles and music, what kind of translation of the scriptures we use. And it's no, it's fine. It's good for us to have our thoughts about that and what works for us. But when we start saying that has to work for everyone else, then we are limiting God. Because when I look through history, I see God working in people's lives in ways that are far beyond the way he's worked in my life. Does it make me uncomfortable sometimes? Yes, it does. And there's something in my mind that wants to say, yeah, but wait a minute. And then the Holy Spirit reminds me, you do realize that your journey, people said the same thing about you, right? I mean, if we had to act like all the people through history, our lives would be very, very different. But God is so much bigger than that. And we need to embrace that and live in the freedom of letting God be God, letting God work the way he wants to work. And if we were to take a poll this morning of all the things about our journeys, wherever we are in our journey with Christ, and how we've gotten to wherever we are, I'm pretty sure we would have as many stories as there are people here. And that's because God is bigger than our rules, than our forms, than our boundaries. And we ought to be giving thanks for that. You see, the the heart of our relationship with God is not obedience. It's faith. I think faith leads to obedience. Obedience is important. Scripture talks a lot about obedience. But if the focus of our faith is obeying rules... And it does not necessarily lead to faith. But faith always leads to obedience. And Paul has been making this point throughout the letter. As he talks about Abraham. 
And he's summarizing what we read a few moments ago from Genesis 15. Verse 6 says, God counted him as righteousness because of his faith. Not because he obeyed the law. In fact, Paul's point is the law won't even be delivered to Israel for hundreds of years. It's about faith. And faith leads to obedience. But if our focus is on obedience, we will always get caught up in the rules and the judging. But when our, when our, when our focus is on faith, then it leads us to openness to God. And it leads us to freedom. One of the things that we have, one of the images we've tapped into in the prayer room this year, as we think about praying freely... And this thing, we've been talking about freedom, and over the next few weeks, we're going to continue to talk about freedom and prayer. But one of the things we've tapped into is John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And there's a, one, of the, one of the interactive elements of the prayer room is that we have a, a knapsack type thing. You see a picture there in the prayer room, and we've got a basket full of bags of rocks. And one of the things that you can do, in fact, one of the things I'm going to do one of the times when I go into the prayer room is I'm going to fill that with rocks and I'm going to put it on my back the first thing I walk into the room. And I want to carry that thing around for 50 or 55 minutes to feel the weight of that. And then to feel the freedom and the lightness of taking it off and the difference And to be reminded of how often I'm walking around like pilgrim with this burden on my back. Because I've chosen it. And to experience something of the freedom and the joy of God taking that off. Being free from it. But here's the other part of the equation that Paul is concerned about for us is that when we when God sets us free again our selfishness gets in the way our sinfulness because the very first thing we tend to think about is I'm free and I can do anything I want now in essence that's true I mean that's part of what Paul's point is you're free from the rules you're free from the laws you're free from the from the uh, forms and the structures and all the ways of bondage that we put on each other. We're free from that. We are free to do whatever we want. But Paul says, but be careful. Don't use your freedom selfishly. We're children of God. Paul says in chapter 4 that we have, through the Spirit, we are children of God. And we can actually call out God and call God Abba, Father. And often that word is translated as the word daddy. And I think that's somewhat appropriate, a little child calling out to his or her father or mother, calling mommy. But I don't think that's the end of it. I think ultimately what God is wanting for us as his children is not to live in this lifelong childish relationship with God, but to live in a relationship that is continually growing and maturing so that as we move along our journey we become more intimate with God that can only happen like you see as a little child grows up into adulthood. I think that's why Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, I'd love to give you meat, but I can't. You can't handle it. You're just childish. So all you can do is take milk. 
And for a little baby, that's good. But eventually, as we get older, we are expected, we need more food. We need more protein. We need a wider menu for our health. And Paul is saying, look, if you're just going to remain immature children, then you've missed the point of your freedom. Because immature children tend to be people who live avoiding responsibility. Now, when you're little, when you're a child and, you know, two or three years old, you don't typically expect your children at that age to carry their weight around the house. You know, I mean, very few people would say to their one-year-old, look, you're going to have to clean up after yourself here. You know, you're going to have to sweep up. You're going to have to take out the garbage. I mean, come on. We're not doing this for nothing here, right? No, we don't say that to them. But when they get to be 12 or 10 or 15, we have expectations. And we should. We're trying to teach them responsibility. And we should have expectations, which is one of the reasons why we have all these, you know, tug-of-war dilemmas with teenage children. But that's the point. And as our children get older, our conversations change. You know, right now, if you have a a small child, you know, you're trying to teach them words and you're trying to help them understand things, but they have a hard time communicating and understanding. But as they get older, you can have totally different conversations. And as parents tend to hide things from their children in terms of, you know, maybe some stuff going on in families or in the world. As they get older, you want to have conversations with them. You value their judgment. You want to have more intimate, more adult conversations. That's maturity. And that's what God is looking for in us. That we have been given this great gift of freedom, but we don't use it selfishly. We don't just hold on to it like an immature child. We, we use it like a mature adult. And Paul says the primary thing, the primary way in which we use our freedom is to follow the one commandment, the one law that really matters. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. We love. We serve. We love God. We serve God. We love each other. We serve each other. That's what mature adults do. And we take this freedom that's been given to us and we use it to serve each other. We use it as a means of loving each other. But that's a struggle for us. We wrestle with it. Because we like to think freedom means I don't have to serve. I don't have to love. I don't have to give. I can just do whatever I want. But that's not the gospel. Because that's not Jesus. Nobody has more freedom in the world who's ever lived in this earth than Jesus does. Paul says in Philippians 2 that he is the very nature of God. Total, complete freedom. And what does he do with it? He gives himself. He serves, he loves, he sacrifices. One of the images, one of the focal points of the prayer room this year is a painting by Willard Ortlip that the Shea family sort of dug out of the archives and helped, we helped restore a bit of it. And it's this painting of Christ's hand reaching down and breaking the chains on our hands. It's an awesome picture of freedom, but notice, notice the nail print in Jesus' hand. Jesus, who had total freedom, used his freedom to set us free. Went to the cross. 
That's why Paul says in verse 14, I'm boast about anything except the cross. That's why he writes in Galatians 2.20, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that's the call of the gospel on our freedom. The hard thing about that is that that doesn't feel like freedom. It feels like bondage once again. It's a different kind of bondage. It's a being, it's the kind of, of servanthood, kind of service that is so connected to Christ, the source of our joy and the source of our life and the source of true freedom. And will it be costly for us? Yes, it will. One author says that when you think about the cross and you think about the call of Christ on his disciples, I think it's safe to presume that Christ is thinking that everyone who follows him will be willing to go through cross-like moments for other people just as Christ does for us. It is the call of the gospel. It's about Christ. It's always about Christ. Always comes back to Christ. The freedom that Paul is describing is not just freedom from rules, and it's not freedom to do whatever we want. It is focusing, trusting in Christ. And what we discover when we do that is that it is never a waste to trust our freedom to Christ. It is never a waste to sacrifice our freedom for Christ, to relinquish our freedom to Christ. It is never a waste. Because it is always leading us and leading others to Christ. In a sense, it seems to me that what Paul is describing here is it's kind of a, a foretaste of God's future. On that day when Christ returns and God ushers in, the, and ushers in the kingdom and God sets everything right. On that day and when we begin to live that life, there will be total, complete freedom. And nothing will bring us joy more than using our freedom to love and serve God and to love and serve each other. Because our hearts will be interwoven with the heart of God, the heart of Christ. And wanting to do and to be like Christ will be the overwhelming passion of our existence. And that means that we will, we will love our freedom and we will embrace our freedom by using our freedom to serve and to love. And it seems to me that In essence, Paul is saying, if that is going to be our eternal freedom, we're going to be new creatures. He talks in verses 15, 16 about being, about the new creation, about being the new people of God. I think he's saying that if that's going to be the joy of our existence then, a joy we came and begin to understand, then why would we not want to start experiencing that now? call of the gospel is that Christ has made us new creatures, setting us free to be agents 
of God's new creation in this world. Agents of healing and peace and truth and justice and grace and mercy. We get the privilege of using our freedom to be agents of all the amazing things that God wants to do in this world. It's one of the things, I think it's one of the things that sets apart the gospel from everything else. It, it, what dif- it's, what, it's one of the differences between people who are followers of Christ and people who are not. It is the radical call of the gospel. And it's a, it's a difficult call. And it's one of the hardest things we do. But it is also one of the, the way of joy and life and true freedom. For as long as I can remember, I have been scared of heights. My family could regale you with stories, many of them humorous, about my encounters with being in high places. I, I, you know, get weak in the knees. I feel the hair on the back of my neck stand up. My blood pressure raises. You know, I, I, we have stories of our travels, different places, and being in different spots where the. The, the fear of heights just overwhelms me. I don't like being in the balcony, to be honest with you. I don't like, I don't like standing over the balcony, and I, I can't really look down. I'm always doing this and trying to look like that. I just have this fear of heights, and I think that's what grabbed me about this, I don't know, little parable that I read recently. It, it, something about it just grabbed me. It, it went something like this. Jesus says, come to the edge. And I said, no, I'm afraid. And Jesus said, come on, come to the edge. And I said, no, I'm afraid. And Jesus said, come on, come to the edge. And so I did. And he did exactly what I was afraid he was going to do. He pushed me. And then, together, we flew. Freedom in Christ is not follow these rules and live. Freedom in Christ is not do whatever you want and live. Freedom in Christ is trust him and find life. Father, may that be so for each of us, for each of us. Amen. As we have been, um, as we've been walking through Galatians, the phrase that keeps coming to my mind is the phrase from Charles Wesley's hymn, 
that says, my chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, followed thee. It seems appropriate for us to conclude today singing this great hymn. So I want to invite you to stand as we sing together this hymn of our faith.
the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.